Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with our buddy, our pal Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist. Lots of questions you guys have sent in about this USC team as we got countdown one week until signing day. We're going to focus this one a lot about the team. If you missed it, we did a recruiting podcast yesterday that was really well received. We actually put it uh, on the premium side. So if you're a uscfootball.com member, a subscriber, Go to uscfootball.com. You can get our premium recruiting podcast. 90 minutes of just Gerard Martinez going off, telling you everything about USC football recruiting as we count down the signing day. So it's great stuff. If you're not a subscriber, jump in right now. Seven-day free trial. It's definitely worth it. you got to check it out. Um, it's the awesome information on the peristyle and all that. So if you are if you want to write into us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions. Uh, we will try to get to all of them. You can leave us a voicemail, too, by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail on the left side of the page from your mobile device or your computer. It's a lot of different ways to get a hold of us. We do love to hear from you, and we'll try to get to each and every one of your questions. We actually gave Harvey Hyde the week off uh, this week, so we'll try to get him again next week before signing day. A lot of stuff going on here at the Peristyle Podcast. Without further ado, let's bring in Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, again, we keep saying it, but, uh, there's never a break from, uh, news when it's USC football. I mean, it's, uh, it just keeps, uh, steamrolling, uh, day after day after day. It does. And, uh, it's not just football, Dan. There's a, you know, there's recruiting. There's the team stuff we want to talk about. USC UCLA play a basketball game tonight too at the, at Galen's there, 8 p.m. So 11 p.m. on the, uh, on the East Coast, which kind of stinks, but, um, it's a big one this week, this, uh, t- tonight. Yeah. Although, you know, I'm kind of, I, eight, eight might be a little bit late, but if I were the LA schools, I would, I would demand that there are no more rush hour games that start five thirty six o'clock. Uh, it's really difficult to get to a game on time if you work in L.A. and you try to go to either USC or UCLA and they start the game, you know, on East Coast time, basically. Um, it really screws the people with season tickets and the people, you know, who want to go see a particular game. And I think it's really been damaging to, uh, you know, building back these programs when people can't get to the games that, you know, start at 530 and 6. So... So I, I don't mind. Eight, eight's a little late. I, I'd like 7.30. You know, 7, 7.30 would be my ideal, you know, starting times, especially for the big games, because that should be about, you know, the crowds in L.A. and the fans here. And, uh, and TV has made it very difficult for them to get to a lot of games at either school. It's easier to get to USC. I mean, that's one of the advantages USC has over, over UCLA. When I used to cover UCLA, I mean, you needed a helicopter at rush hour to get, you know, to Poly Pavilion, or you had to get there at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, so, uh, 
I'm I'm kind of in favor of at least a little bit later starts than say last weekend when they're five thirty and six o'clock at uh, Galen Center. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of there's a there's a window you want to be in eight probably a little too late five that's too early you got <laughs> just with the LA yeah. traffic you kind of have to be in there but yeah hopefully people can come out I think it's a sellout Dan right well, well it is a sellout though yeah. so that they'll be out for that one I don't know if that's the good news or the bad news because you know you went to the Arizona game last week and less than 5,000 showed up at Galen. So, yeah, I think a lot of those tickets sold for tonight's game are UCLA fans who were so excited about how the season's going and wanted to see them, you know, get revenge for losing all three games to USC last year. And others are USC fans who will go to the UCLA game but maybe no other games. And I think that they've got to figure out a way to, you know, to get, a crowd of 10,000 when they're playing an Arizona team and they, they didn't have anywhere near that. And, uh, yes, he's got to figure out something on this whole basketball thing because, you know, you just got to, you know, heighten expectations, expect to be, you know, you're in the middle of the best recruiting area in the whole country by far. Uh, you've got a great building that's in a great location, you know, for a great school uh you know what's not to like uh you're a mile and a half from two nba franchises i mean there's no other place in america that's as well situated to have a great college basketball program as usc obviously it's hard when you're a football school in most people's mind uh to also become a basketball school but i think usc has a chance if they put it together but you know they don't just give you a place in the you know, top, you know, 10 or whatever in college basketball, you got to figure out how to do it. And it's hard if you haven't had that tradition. But, uh, but USC is one of those programs that has a chance. Uh, they just got to make it happen. Um, it's funny. We, weird that we're talking about basketball to start the show. We actually had a basketball question too. So I apologize for if you only like football. I mean, it's a big, it's a big basketball game tonight. Uh, Nick in Cyprus said, uh, hello, Sherojan fans. So he wants to know, what have you thought about the basketball season from being 17 and four, four and four impact 12 play, uh, boat right being out, the schedule, et cetera. He said, fight on, love what you guys do. And then uh, he also wanted to know if we're going to have a, a national signing day party, uh, hosted by our site. And we're working on that. So check it out. So I, we might do something at the lab, uh, next to USC, like a lunch sort of thing on when next Wednesday. So check back on uscfootball.com for that. But Dad, get your thoughts on uh Yeah, yeah that'd be great it. if you could do that. We actually had uh I hosted a USC uh excuse me, um a uh uh at the lab in uh I guess first week of September, last week of August, we uh had my Cincinnati Saint Xavier High School was playing Saint John Bosco in the Herb Street Classic at the University of Cincinnati. It was on ESPN. So we had a party <laughs> a viewing party at the at the lab and that's the game bosco wins 34 to nothing and you know and i'm telling them i didn't think they were going to be as good as last year but wow uh then my cincinnati saint x team goes on to win the ohio state championship (laughs) and they had this giant rally by the end of the year and they've got a quarterback who's going to penn state with one of the elite 11 so they you know they didn't let you know getting bosco you know steamrolled by bosco but, uh, 
but that's a great place to watch uh, watch uh, a game, and you know, just a you know terrific location right across the street from you know the campus and and what have you. So I hope you can pull that off. As far as the basketball team's concerned, I know when they were you know 14 and 0, I'm thinking this you know in their rank you know for a month solid, and you're thinking what doesn't have a good feel here? It's just in. And then they get into Pac-12 play, and all of a sudden uh, they can't get any shots for Elijah Stewart, and he can't make any shots and what have you. And uh, it's just, you you know, you got to think, gosh, they lost six of their 12 guys who are eligible to come back next for this season, uh, chose not to come back. Two went to the, you know, declared for the NBA, didn't make it. Uh, Kate and Reinhardt is up there in, you know, at Marquette winning games for them. Uh and so you thought, okay, they're going to have problems with depth. They've got a couple of really nice-looking recruits, a transfer. Maybe they can make something happen. And they were kind of making it happen, but it didn't look like they were getting better or building, that they were just, you know, and especially with Benny Boatwright out. Um, and so I don't know. Uh, I know there are people that look at this game tonight and say, wow, if only USC could slow down UCLA. And I'm thinking, no, I'd rather have USC figure out how to, you know, play that game that they play so well, that full court running, run up and down the floor, uh, scramble on defense, transition where you either get the ball to the glass or you, uh, uh, or you get an open three off your transition offense and, um, and don't have to run your half court stuff because this is not a team that, really runs its half-court offense or defense all that well against good, solid, you know, well-coached teams like Arizona, like uh, Oregon, like Utah. Uh, you know, those teams, uh, and they end up losing the Cal game against a team that probably shouldn't have walked out of Galen with the win. And that's where you want to see this USC team, young as it is, uh, thin as it is, to develop more of a sense of who they are and how they win basketball games and how they have to play to, to do that. And um, you don't see that yet. Um, you know, it looks like a team that if they play somebody who's really um, knows who they are and, and knows how to slow the game down to their pace and all that kind of thing, it's going to be hard, hard to beat those teams. Uh, but, you know, they hit a chance against Cal, didn't make it. They hit a chance against Arizona despite the horrific start and couldn't quite pull it off. So they're, they're an interesting team, but one that you just probably don't want to get your hopes up too much for because you just, you know, don't know how they're going to show up or, you know, they, they keep bad teams like Arizona State in the game much longer than, than they really should have and, and let them come back at the very end and have to scramble for their lives. So uh, uh, it, I, I don't know if this is a team that's building or where exactly it is. You might find out a little bit tonight. You know, I'd, you know if it were me, I'd like to see it be – I don't want to see them slow UCLA down. I'd like to see them beat UCLA 100 to 98 would be that'd be my game uh, and so we'll see how that goes but but i wouldn't try to slow them down because i don't think usc plays very well slowing the ball down and they've tried and that didn't work so well uh makes sense so thanks for that one nick and uh we had a lot of basketball talk to start the show so 
Um, we'll see if we get some hate mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Okay, so let's jump into some football. Let's get right into football. Okay, Tarek, uh, that's a great question. Says, do you expect Clancy Pendergast to use more three linemen uh, sets this coming year? So I think he's talking about like three interior linemen instead of right. really they've right. had two. I mean, I, I know people will start looking at that thinking, okay, you got to rotate these, uh, potential big time recruits into the game. And maybe, maybe they will. I think it'll depend on, I mean, one of the things you know, though, they're probably other than, um, other than Stanford and Oregon State, you know, and we don't have Utah flip a coin, but, you know, you're playing a schedule of people that are going to spread you out. And, uh, you know, the way Clancy has, has, has dealt with that is with two, two down linemen. Uh, now the idea is obviously Stevie Tui Calavato isn't going to be there. So you're not going to have a, as it turns out, a 350 pounder. We find out from the weigh-ins at the, at the senior bowl in the middle of that, you know, uh, defense pushing that center back and occupying two, you know, two people at least sometimes three uh so how do you you know how do you make up for that and i i think clancy's you know a lot of along the lines of what bill belichick does where he just looks at his personnel looks at what you do and says how can i use the 11 guys i've got on the field the best possible way to shut you down and uh i think you might have a more athletic uh uh you know group of uh interior defensive linemen that you can that you can mix and match more so uh i wouldn't you know guarantee it uh but uh but i think they'll they'll really you know take a look at it is, is there a way i mean you look at some of these guys on on film and they're pretty darn athletic they may have their hand in the ground but uh uh and there may be you know some different ways to do things out of the say the base uh you know 35 or 53 or however, however you want to call it, uh, 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 Clancy's base defense and, and maybe you can incorporate, you know, one more guy even on third down. But, uh, I think that's, that's why they have spring law and, um, in August and we'll see, uh, where those guys are and, you know, where this defense is. But, uh, but, you know, you open up in Western Michigan, you know, it's one thing, but then, you know, game two, you got Stanford and that's, a, you know, there's somebody that loads it up and the three down lineman probably is a, a pretty good idea. And then Texas, you know, got a quarterback and they lose their really good running back. But, uh, uh, you know, you got different challenges, you know, each week. So it might not be one of those things that, that, uh, you know, you develop a pattern that you stay with all year, but you have the ability to go to it, uh, when you really, really need to, the three down linemen. Let's, uh, we actually got one more from Tark. He gives a nice, short, concise one. So we'll do another one. He said, Do you expect Kenny Bigelow to be a full participant in spring football? Speaking of defensive line. That's a good question. Uh, and I don't think we, we, we know the answer to that. I mean, there were times this year we wondered if he was going to start practicing in the fall, uh, as he kept improving and, you know, kept doing more things and, and what have you. Uh, I would say there's a chance, uh, that, that he, you know, participates. It's probably, you know, you don't want to rush anybody, you know, with the knee, but 
I think the sooner he gets a chance to participate, the better for Kenny. So, uh, so I, I would think they'll look at it and, and, and just see where, where exactly is he. I think, I think there's a chance. Yeah, we'll see with, uh, with Keddy. I think there, you know, certainly could be some shakeup on the defensive line with the, all the young blood coming in and Kenny Bigelow coming back would be huge. Uh, kind of like getting Stevie Tuikolovatu from last year. Um, well, especially if you look at Kenny now, he doesn't look like the guy a couple of years ago that people saw on the field. He's a significantly larger person and not, you know, not with that, with bad weight. He's just, built himself up he's a bigger bigger guy now and i think it you know one time he wanted to get you know slim and trim and, and sort of play that rasheem green type role but i think he's realized his future was more being the you know the big plug guy who can just you know occupy a couple of people and still make plays and um and so i'll be interested to see what he weighs in at and not that those official weights really matter as we found out with uh, Stevie, K- T- you know, Tui Kalavatu was listed at 320, and um, Zach Banner, who went from 345 to 381, apparently, this season, uh, was listed at 360. So I guess they they split the uh, split split that one down the middle, kind of. But uh, uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see what what Kenny actually weighs in at. Um, we got one from Dylan. He said. I'm a current student at USC, and I just recently discovered the Peristyle Podcast. Well, thank you, Dylan, for discovering that. I'm glad. Uh, hope your studies are going well, and thanks for listening to us. He said, I've been wrapped up uh, in the last uh, last few weeks. Obviously, there's a lot of hype going into the next year, but I feel that there's still some questions about the defensive front. He wants to know who's going to be playing next to uh, Cameron Smith next year, in your opinion. That's a good question. Uh I think they're going to try some different combinations. Uh, you've got a couple of guys who, who can fly and, and I think, and you know, young guys that John Houston will see where he is. I don't think he's ever going to get, you know, classic middle linebacker size, but he's a, he's a big time athlete, flew, you know, flew around on, uh, um, and a special team. He'd be bigger than say Quentin Powell. Uh, will he be, you know, probably maybe right in the same ballpark that Michael Hutchings was. Uh, so, I mean, I think you'll, you know, you'll get a chance to look at a couple of those guys. I know people have said, well, what about Uchenna and, and bringing him in? He looks more like a middle linebacker at 235, 240, 6'3. Uh, but, you know, he does such a good job on the edge. Uh, do you want to take away, you know, from that? But, you know, that, that might be another, way that, that USC looks, uh, I wouldn't want to prejudge that one. I think that's one of those ones where you just see how all the pieces fit together and where that, you know, where that gets you. You know, it might be also, uh, what shape they're in on the edge with, uh, uh, Connor Murphy and, uh, and Olawali Batiko. You know, if those two, let's say, are ready to, you know, make that big step up, which, uh, physically, they ought to be able, you know, to do. I don't think there's any, and, and they showed us enough at times, you know, with the scout team and with the second group that, um, that, that, that could be a possibility. So I think it's, it's not any one move that it, but it's a, maybe a series of moves that gives you, as Clancy always says, I want the best 11, you know, on the field. 
meaning 11 working together, uh, you know, as a, you know, as one unit. So, so I think there, I think you'll see some experimenting there. Let's, uh, stay on the defensive side, Dan. We got Ralph and he said, Hey, Ryan, new subscriber, long time lurker. Well, thank you for, uh, signing up for uscfootball.com. Hope you enjoy it. I think you'll, uh, I think you will. He said, enjoying not being confounded by the gold key symbol. Yes, that's the, uh, that's the premium. If you want to read some of those stories and, uh, read the peristyle and, uh, you know, that's, that's what you get. He said, with a door gone, who do you see stepping up in the roles of cornerback? Uh, he said, Jack Jones looked lost in the Rose Bowl and returner. And then with Connor Murphy, I expect to see him, uh, I expected to see him, uh, on the field a bit more this past year. How is he looking? Do you, uh, do you see him in a similar role as Port Augustine or as a down lineman? And does he have any wheels at six foot seven? So those are the defensive questions. That's Ralph from Folsom. Yeah. Uh, in the secondary, you know, I think it, it might be a little unfair to, you know, judge Jack from, uh, you know, a couple of plays, uh, in a secondary on, a, you know, in a game where, you know, C gave up 49 points and, and Penn State was hot as heck. Uh, Although, you know, he played more in the second half and they did shut down, you know, Chris Godwin, uh, in the second half, uh, pretty much. So, uh, I mean, he's obviously going to get a shot. I think, uh, they're all excited about Pi Young and not to mention Pi Young's all excited about his opportunities there. But, um, um, you know, you've got, I mean, they've got a, a, a number of bodies in that secondary. Um, but those would be the you know the first two I think you would you would take a look at uh, you know as uh, as step, you know step stepping up for the Adoree spot and in terms of you know kick returner I think again Jack Jones is going to get a shot I also think uh, and he's got some of that you know uh, that elusiveness that uh, you know unafraid to take a chance uh, you know grab the ball and go. Uh, under the gun, and then there's also kind of the Deontay Burnett uh, school of thought, where he's very sure, very uh, solid hands uh, with with decent speed. And uh, so I think, I mean, I'm I'm looking at those two, uh, you know, for starters on on kickoff returns. You certainly could uh, think uh, uh, for Dominic Davis. I think at that that point, um, let's see. Let me think if there's anybody else. Boom, boom, boom. I'd go. I I would. I'd leave it at the. Leave it right there, for the time being. Uh, I don't know about if Elias Jones gets in that mix. He's got a got a lot of acceleration. Uh, especially kickoff returns are one thing. Punt return. That's a that's a real combination of a whole lot of different skills. Whereas kickoff return, you got to much better chance of, you know, the ball's coming to you, you catch it and you go. Whereas with punt return thing, you got a whole lot going, uh, at one time. So experience and judgment, I think is, is really important and, and in a great set of hands where kickoff return, you can kind of at times catch the ball with your chest and your elbows and tuck it in where, uh, with, you know, the punt return guy, you really got to have the hands. And uh, you, you mentioned some of the guys that he's his second part of his question was he said at wide receiver, uh, it seems historically all of our star wide receivers have had impacts impacts as freshmen. That didn't happen this year for any freshman. 
Do you see someone who has the potential to be a star wide receiver out of the incoming sophomore class? He said, I expected to see Pittman uh, shine more last year. Thanks, Ralph from Folsom. Yeah, Ralph, I, I think the problem is for Pittman to shine, you would have had to sit down uh, at the beginning of the year, you know, Stephen Mitchell or Darius Rogers, or uh, you wouldn't necessarily have had Deontay Burnett, you know, ready ready to break through. So, I mean, they basically had four four starters. Uh, you know, Deontay technically wasn't a starter, but he should have been. So, uh, and I think they got it right. I mean, they, they got to him and they got him the ball and they got him, you know, on the field when, when Steven went down. But, uh, I just think you can't quite say, you know, just because in previous years you had freshmen that made a big impact and this year you didn't. Uh, there are all kinds of circumstances that govern that more so than say just the uh, ability of the freshman uh, and a lot of that is if he's got four guys ahead of him and uh, this year that was the case uh, so uh, I don't think that should take away from anything that you think about uh, the ability of Michael Pittman or Josh and or you know any of those freshman receivers who will be redshirt freshman except for michael will be a sophomore but uh but next year i mean they got a lot out of this year and i think there there's a lot of talent there and and i don't look for any kind of drop off uh uh you know whether they've got somebody with quite say the the, the strong hands of darius that can catch it in a crowd through a defender not sure they replace that but um uh uh, there's a, there's a lot of and Tyler Vaughn's I didn't didn't mention him. There's just a lot of ability in this uh, in this last year's recruiting class of, of wide receivers, and and I think you know will be ready to step up. I think they got enough out of even if they didn't you know get on the field in games. I think they got a lot out of out of their first year in, in college football. We uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday on the show, Dan. Um, there's a uh... If you look at the USC recruiting class right now, there's 18 verbal commits, well, four signees and uh, 14 commits, and one of them might sign, um, the most recent commit might sign as well and be an early enrollee. It sounds like that's going to happen. But there's there's some three stars, uh, but right now there's one five star, um, I believe nine four stars, uh, seven three stars, and one not ranked who's a uh, long snapper. And so here's the question. It's, they said, I'm so disappointed in our recruiting this year. It seems that when we had a bad start, the coaches got scared of losing their jobs and concentrated on games, but not recruiting. Now we're pay- paying the price. We're only getting three-star players, and we're loaded with those guys. UCLA and Oregon, who had a terrible season, are doing better than us. Please explain that to me. I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. Tom from the South Bay. Tom. I'm not sure. I wonder, has the internet been cut off to the South Bay in uh, the last week or so? I don't know. <laughs> uh, first of all, I agree. They concentrated on the season. I think they made the absolutely wise decision that, A, we may not be here if we don't get this thing turned around in the end of September. And so uh, you concentrate on what you have to concentrate on, knowing that if you do get it turned around, as they did get it turned around, it changes everything in terms of your uh, uh, your recruiting ability. So I think they made that. That was the right call, and they pulled it off. 
what you then tell yourself, however, is, and if we pull this off, we're going to have to scramble like crazy, and we're going to have to make every right decision. And we may not tell the whole world, but uh, but we're going to have to really get our act together uh, with probably compared to, say, the Ohio States and Alabamas and Clemsons and Michigans and what have you of the world. We've got probably an understaffed recruiting effort. However, from what we can tell, those guys have stepped up. And the coaches have stepped up. And, uh, you know, just like you probably aren't going to give back the, um, the Rose Bowl, even though they had to, you know, come back from a seven, you know, they had to score 17, outscore Penn State 70 to nothing in the fourth quarter. You'll probably take that. And I would guess if this class fills out the way it looks like it just might, you're going to probably take that effort. Do you want to be doing that every year? Heck no. And you don't want to start one and three every year. But you start one and three, I think the first thing you do is, is figure that out and, and stop that slide, you know, and win your next nine games and win the most exciting, you know, or one of the two most exciting bowl games of the year and in front of, you know, a giant television audience and then take advantage of that and go on and, and be USC when it comes to recruiting. But, I don't think they had the opportunity, starting the way they did, <coughs> to recruit any other way than they did. They had to hang back. And uh, and now I think it's paying off. But, uh, you know, still a week to go. But, uh, but I think they figured it out correctly for this year under these circumstances. But it shouldn't probably be the pattern of going forward, although maybe the part about not letting everybody know who's committed, you know, the whole silent commit thing and that, that USC's always done pretty well. Uh, I don't think that's a bad idea. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, if you're not top 10 or top 5 on the recruiting rankings the week before Letter of Intent Day, so what? If you're there when Letter of Intent Day comes around, <laughs> that's probably pretty good. You know, so I'm not sure. You know, they haven't you know, the scoreboard is, you know, it's not, you know, finished. I mean, it wasn't finished after the first three quarters at the Rose Bowl either. Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't write them off at this point in time. Uh, I just wouldn't. Good points there, Dan. Uh, Rich had a, uh, Rick had a question. So with lower recruits that are raw and so many holes from players graduating and moving to the NFL, why is USC so hyped next year? Uh, is it just Darnold? I'm afraid they'll get ranked higher early, yet they may fall uh, from a loss. Plus, there's no break next season. Helton will definitely show just how good he can coach and prove to stay or go. Personally, I think a big-name coach is needed, proven winner and recruiter of men. Uh, thank you, uh, Rick from La Mirada. Okay. Hey, Rick. Um, let's see. I think... Mark Helfrich is available. I don't know if he was a big enough name or not. I think Todd Graham might be available or Rich Rodriguez. Jim Moore probably going to be available. Brian Kelly, I think he might be available. Uh, Les Miles is available. Um, so I don't know. Uh, it, it, you know, you can say he has, Clay Helton hasn't proved himself. And no question about it. You can't prove yourself in the first year. There's not even, 
a possibility, or if you count it as a second year, you can't can't prove yourself in that period of time. There's a whole lot of things you got to do right to build a a great college football program, which is the only standard that USC, you know, should accept. But to say that, you know, you haven't been even convinced a little bit by how they turned it around, how they got them to play for them, how they, uh, you know, won nine straight, second long, they got the second longest win streak in the nation. I mean, think about that. That's just, come on. I mean, they did some things right. And you can say, oh, it's all Sam Donald or, or whatever. And, you know, that's to be determined uh, as as you go down the road, uh, how they, uh, you know, turn this over and turn this over and to the next group and the next group. Uh, but, uh, you know, I uh, I think he proved some, proved some things definitely. And it looks like they may be proving some things, you know, they did on the field. It looks like they may be, uh, you know, showing some, things off the field i mean i i would i like to see clay you know do a little bit more of what would urban meyer do what would jim harbaugh do what would um um you know nick saban do in this situation and and really uh gear up you know the staffing yeah i I think i I really would i mean for example they've got a a a challenge now to replace tory beckton who uh who i was trying to set up (laughs) yesterday an interview because you know he's the number two guy in the strength and conditioning department, and he came from Washington, and the kids love him, and all talk about him, and all reference him, and he was out on the field every day, and you wouldn't have known he wasn't a, you know, just, you know, a real presence. And so, talking to Paul Goldberg in the SID office about, you know, catching Tory for an interview, and he said, oh, he just got hired by Cal as their top strength and conditioning guy. And so now you got to replace him, and he was a he was an impactful guy, and all of those things uh, will determine what kind of a job you know Clay Helton does. But uh, that's where that's where we'll see. I mean, some of these are things you know you maybe haven't done before, and uh, and we'll see how you know how it goes. But uh, but uh, I, I know I think you may be underrating uh, you know the kind of effort that it took for USC to get from where it was in the end of September to where it finished the 1st of January. Uh, that was, that was pretty impressive. It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Dan, because we had a couple of questions about support staff. I'll read you the two of them that we got. Uh, Reggie in Seattle said, um, I don't hear a lot about current USC strength coach, Ivan Lewis. Are injuries part of the process in any sport? As injuries are part of the process in any sport, I'd like to get your opinion on Lewis and his staff. Do you think he's the right guy for the position? And uh, is he doing a superb job there, or is there room for improvement? And then we also had um, Eric in Duck Country. He said, I'd like to be optimistic and think that Coach Helton will add to the support staff in the way other programs are. Which former coach or coaches do you see Helton bringing on? Thanks, as always, Eric in Duck Country. So one on the strength side, Dan, and one on the support side, if you want to kind of talk about all that. Yeah, on the strength side, I think, I think they did a good job. I mean, you know, if you got into a game that was strength against strength, it was USC Washington. And there was no question the, the team with the stronger athletes, you know, was, was, you know, USC. I don't think there's any, any question. They were bigger, stronger, uh, tougher. Uh, they really did a pretty good job injury wise this year. I don't think they're, you know, and that's not a direct correlation. You know, stuff happens. You can't, 
you know, hold a, uh, you know, a coach, uh, you know, a strength and conditioning program, you know, some of that stuff just, you know, not your fault. But I think in general, they, that was, they did a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, the, the numbers held up, the guys held up. Um, boom, boom, boom. Let's see. As far as, uh, as far as coaches, you know, if the NCAA allows them the 10th full-time assistant coach, I would really like to see somebody come in whose main role would be recruiting. He'd be a supplementary coach in, you know, some area. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and Ed Orgeron wasn't a supplementary coach in any area, but he was, you know, such a, you know, pos- powerful recruiter and recruiting presence. And it mattered so much to him. And I would think that kind of a person who could really, you know, be a full-time staffer, uh, an on-the-field coach, but the ability, uh, because I think this is a staff where you have people, uh, really good professional experienced coaches who see their job, uh, as development and coaching on the field. And that's what you want. You want guys that can do that. But then maybe you, you figure out another way to make up for that a little bit. And uh, I think it's asking an awful lot of, uh, say, T. Martin, who's now your, you know, wide receivers coach and your offensive coordinator to also be, you know, your, your big, big time recruiting presence. So, uh, and, and, you know, this is just throwing a name out there just for the heck of it because I'm not, have no idea whether this is even a possibility, but, Somebody like a, uh, a Tosh LaPoy, who's rumored to be going back from Alabama to Cal, but that hasn't happened yet. But here's a guy who's coached a couple of places on the defense, you know, defensive line, linebackers. People are rumored, you know, well, is he going to be a defense coordinator at his next spot? But he's always been, you know, had this reputation for good and bad of being a, a big time recruiter. Do you find that guy? You find a young Ed Orgeron, uh, who can really come in and take over the recruiting operation, uh, you know, the way he was doing at LSU. Um, that's, that's who I, I would, you know, like to see him. I'd like to see him go in that direction. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Uh, well, from Reggie and Eric, uh, we have Lamar in the high desert. He said he can't wait to see if USC is going to land the four- and five-star defensive lineman the first week of February. It's actually the first day of February, Lamar. The uh, signing day is February 1 this year. Um, he said, would you all know if there's any possibility to bring back the defensive tackle from Las Vegas, Noah Jefferson, who was on the team last season? Um, thanks, Lamar, in the high desert. Uh, I would, you know... If you follow Noah on Twitter, he's probably not coming back. He just looks like he's pretty well uh, at home in Las Vegas. Uh, so, you know, it just is, you know, one of those things. It just this wasn't, I mean, some people, you know, can handle those kind of moves and, and be in a way, but it looks like he's got, you know, people around him that, really need him to be in Las Vegas and that's where he's going to be. And, um, let's hope, you know, he can make it work if, you know, if he goes back to UNLV and decides, you know, I really want to play. But, uh, if you really don't want to be here, 
I'm just not sure what the sense of, uh, you know, people saying, gosh, if only he would come back or gosh, if only. I'm just, you know, you got to really want to be here. And it's, it's too hard to play college football at the level, you know, USC expects people to be able to play if they don't really want to be here. So, so I, I think you just wave goodbye and say good luck and, you know, that's, that's how you, how you handle that. But, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend much time trying to, you know, bring somebody like that back. Now, somebody like, say, a Khalil Rogers is not leaving until the end of the spring. And if there were an obvious place on the offensive line for him and he decided, you know, maybe I'll, I'll stay here. Uh, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't object to that. Um, he's a good guy, good teammate. Uh, just things just didn't work out injury wise, position wise, all of that. But, uh, but for the guys that don't want to be here, uh, nah, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of time thinking about him. We have another one from Reggie in Seattle. He said, uh, what a difference, how much a difference a year makes for college athletes, meaning that USC has tons of players on the roster who either redshirted or haven't played much the last couple of seasons. I'm wondering if we can expect significant improvement from year to year. Looking at the depth chart at defensive line, USC has the numbers. Can we expect any of the current USC guys to have breakout seasons? And if yes, which players do you think could improve enough to help the, the team next year? If I was looking at the USC depth chart at defensive line, I'm curious why USC hasn't developed any of those guys. Scott, Dorton, and others have to step up. Are they capable? Well, I mean, I think there's all different kinds of situations. You know, there's uh, size and, and physicality and, uh, and and just uh, understanding how how tough this is and how hard you got to go. And for some of the big guys, I think especially – uh, that wasn't necessarily the way they had to play in high school because they're so much bigger and more athletic. And, and I know I was talking to Roy Hemsley and, uh, you know, 6'6", 315, offensive tackle, kind of just been a, you know, a squad guy for a couple of years. And he was talking before the Rose Bowl. He said, I think it's, you know, T. Martin singled him out and said, there's a guy who's really starting to show us something. And I talked to Roy. I said, what's going on? And he said, I think I just figured out how physical this game is and how physical I have to be. I think that's the case with a lot of those guys. Now, Malik Dorton might be a little bit on the smaller side. He may have to really develop, you know, some other things to make himself uh, viable as a, as a, you know, down lineman. But say a Jacob Daniel with his size and his, you know, potential, he just, I think a lot of that is, uh, them deciding, you can't decide for them. You can't make them decide to be the guy that maybe they could be. So I think it, it, a lot of those guys, the light bulb has to go on. And I think if it does, and you got to try to help them, but you can't make it go on for them. you got to, you know, just be there and be ready so that they can take advantage of everything that's offered to them when, when that happens. So... I'm not in the prediction business in, in, in those terms. I think you gotta, you go to practice and you watch and you see who wants to do it and who shows up and who, who looks different attitude wise and who's, uh, 
who's able to be coached up and who's got the discipline and who, who's got the, you know, the want. They got to want, want it badly. And, uh, I mean, that's what you got to watch for. And I think, uh, uh, I'm not going to predict, but I think there are some people like that who, who definitely, uh, you know, can, can come on. And, uh, I, you know, I don't think it's a case of USC is not developing them. Uh, I just think you got to show if you're going to play on the field in Clancy's defense, you got to prove to Clancy that he can trust you and that you, you know, you deserve to be there. He'll develop you if, uh, if you share that, but he, you can't develop somebody who's not ready to be developed yet. So that's, that's kind of my take. All right. Uh, we got a few more. We'll let you go. Simon said, obviously USC's had a pretty scary turnover in the coaching staff over the last few years, but unless something dramatic happens, USC will go into next season with its staff totally unchanged. Uh, you'd think that this might have a large effect. Kids get to be in the same schemes and can process information more quickly. You can install relatively uh, more playbook because you have the fundamentals down. Veterans are able to coach up the youngsters having spent more time in the system. Bill Belichick often says that he expects the biggest leap in player development from year one to year two as rookies get used to the Patriots schemes. But the stability of the coaching staff has not really been mentioned when looking forward to next season. Am I making too much of gain, uh, of the gains or should we be optimistic that this should be, you should see more than the usual player development as we move to next season? Fight on and Dick Hammer, uh, from Simon. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's underrated, uh, that, you know, coaching stability. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. I think, uh, you know, uh, continuity in schemes and in thinking. For example, uh, what Rasheem Green was asked to do was completely different from what he'd been asked to do. And, uh, there was an adjustment period for him and there was a kind of a back and forth between him and Kanishi as to, you know, what you had to do and how you had to do it. And, uh, I think that happens a lot, uh, uh, I know as the season goes on, for example, you saw Stevie uh, T and what he was able to do. Uh, the more he understood what he could do in the system and the more they understood what they could do with him. I, mean, I think that'll happen all across the board, uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, guys really knowing what, what's expected of them and coaches really knowing what they can do with guys. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, when you look around the Pac-12, there are a ton of new coordinators, you know, both sides of the ball. Uh, and, uh, that probably can't help. I mean, you look at across town and, you know, new quarterbacks coach and new running backs coach, I think, and new, uh, uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, that's going to be tough. I mean, you know, with, with the tough times they hit on offense this year and now they've got all new people. So, um, so I think, yeah, it might be undervalued as to, you know, the stability at USC and how that's going to play out. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of stability, so it uh, can't hurt for sure. Um, we got two more. Let's see, John and Brea, he said, rhetorical question, uh, but why does USC always travel back-to-back when they have a Friday game at Cal and fly home early Sunday, more, uh, Sunday in the morning, and then in four days get back on a plane uh, to Washington. Why aren't there, why aren't one of those games a home game versus traveling on a short practice week? But I know TV money 
is all Larry Scott cares about. Uh, I'm sorry. So that's from Mark. Um, so the, okay, I'm sorry. There's a few questions here about the schedule that came out, Dan. So that was from Mark. Neil and Manila said, can USC have their schedule reset if they weren't too timid to ask for it? And then John Abrea said, I see that Larry Scott did it to USC again, scheduling them for a Friday night road game at Washington State after an away game the previous Saturday at California with no bye weeks and no game on Thanksgiving weekend. I'm sure he will blame it on USC's desire to play Notre Dame every year or something like that. Why do you think it's so difficult for Lynn Swan or anyone else at USC to stop this kind of ridiculous scheduling? Thanks for your time. Uh, John and Brett. So I, I, I grouped those together. My apologies. Um, a bunch of schedule uh, questions about the schedule, Dan. Yeah, I, I mean, I think overall, I'm not that upset about the schedule. I mean, you're going to have a bye somewhere. You got a plan that you're going to be in that championship game, and if the bye comes that week, well, at least it comes you know, before a game where uh, you could use it. You could take advantage of it. You know, if it comes before the Arizona game, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, how big a deal that is. So, so I, I think the buy I'm not that, that opposed to. And, and, and some of that is impacted by, uh, USC and Stanford both playing Notre Dame in the middle of the year, in middle of October, uh, on the road and as the last home game of the year, uh, when it's in California. So, you know, and last year I think Arizona had to go without a buy and they were blaming it on USC. So, you know, it happened. Uh, I do think there ought to be a rule, and I think the athletic directors ought to make it clear, and the presidents ought to back them, that if we play a road game on a Saturday, we will not play a second road game the following Friday. That ought to be easy. You just, you know, I mean, how hard would it have been for the Washington State game to be Saturday? Uh, sure, it takes you out of a, uh, having USC Washington State on Friday night. So what? Who cares? I mean, uh, you go to the Big Ten, for example, and they're going to do their first ever Friday night, uh, broadcast in the Big Ten. Well, Ohio State, Michigan, and, uh, trying to think, Penn State immediately said, not us. We're not playing those Friday night games. And, and now when was the last time Alabama played a Friday night game? You know? I mean, Big time programs, Notre Dame. When do you think they played a Friday night game? It doesn't happen. USC ought to say, look, we're not playing those Friday night games. Uh, period. I mean, I'd like to see them say, we're not going to play them, period. Uh, uh, because the high schools deserve to have their night. And, uh, the second part of that is they should absolutely say, you schedule us for a Friday night, uh, uh, game on the road. As the second part of a two-week road trip, and we're not doing it. So don't do it. And if you do it, and if that comes out in the schedule, we're going to embarrass you because you talk about uh, athletes coming first, student athletes coming first, and you schedule in a way that you guarantee they miss another day of class. So don't come to us with this. Oh, we're really caring about student athletes when it's obviously you're caring about putting a a game in that Friday night time slot that you think is more attractive than another game. Uh, I mean, those are going to be two ranked teams. Uh, you know, stand, or, uh, Washington State has two, you know, top 50 players in the U.S. They've got their quarterback, Luke Falk. A lot of people, you know, have him in the top 15 coming back next year. Uh, you don't need to play that game on a Friday night. 
that game will get a great rating if you play it on Saturday. So for the Pac-12 to do that is just it's foolish and short-sighted and, and stupid, to be honest. Uh, it doesn't make any sense anyway, especially then when you factor in that the USC kids are going to miss an extra day of class. Uh, the following week and have to travel two weeks in a row. It's just, uh, shouldn't be done and shouldn't have been done. And USC probably ought to raise hell about it. I'm not sure if they do. We don't really get a chance to talk to them about those kinds of issues. Unfortunately, we're, we try, but, uh, you know, we're not even sure. And I, the other part of it is you hear a lot of grumbling from the Pac-12 athletic directors that nobody listens to them. That Larry Scott figures a way, you know, that they'll, they will tell you this, that there are ways that the Pac-12 just goes around the athletic directors and, and, and gets stuff done that they want done and that the athletic directors don't. So, so I don't know. I, uh, I would, I, I would, I would draw the line on the Friday night second week, uh, on the road and say, absolutely not we're not doing that okay we got one last one for you we'll let you go mark from crown city he said happy new year great start with the rose bowl victory and a promising continuation uh with national signing day just ahead one of the underappreciated elements of trojan football success is the tireless and generally unrecognized efforts of the student manager squad uh known as jamokes this past week jordan moore posted a jamokes wanted call out on the SC Ripset blog, any insight on the origins of the term Jamokes? Uh, thank you both, as always, for your ongoing insights covering USC football. Best regards, uh, Mark. Uh, it only has anything to, I, my guess is it doesn't have anything to do directly with USC. I think that's a term that's been around, and I think I probably at one time or another would have been able to tell you what the heck its origin was, but for the life of me right now, thinking about it, uh, I can't. It, it just seems like it was it was a sort of a friendly slash derogatory term for uh, some sort of companions, fellow, you know, was it like in the military or, you know, kind of club. I, I'm not where I can look it up right away, but I'll try to find out. Uh, if you tell me where Crown City is, is Crown City in California? I think that's... I don't think I've heard of that one we, either. So. I think we talked about I'll that. You, Pasadena, <laughs> right? Isn't that Pasadena? Oh, Crown, oh, oh, the Crown City. I thought that's what they... I thought that's what... They are the Crown City. Okay. Well, I don't think I knew that. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, I'll find out about Jamokes, and uh, next week we'll let you know where yeah. the where the Jamokes term uh, comes term comes from i don't exactly know i think i might have we might have talked about something like that before and i don't remember there's like a but i i think it might be specific to usc there's an urban dictionary really that says university of southern california football manager um so maybe it's something like that i don't know but i like uh i just have the sense that they may have appropriated that from somewhere else yeah uh, in the movies somewhere. I don't know. That's a really good one, though. Let's, we'll find out about that. Yeah, and maybe Marshall, we'll get Marshall Carrington to, to give us the, uh, the derivation of that one. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's co, like, head Jamoke this year, right? Is he gonna be? Uh... Yeah, he moved right up. Yeah, he was, uh, we're, we're real proud of, uh, of Marshall there. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, they, I'll tell you what, those guys do a heck of a lot of work and they really matter. 
and uh, everywhere you go, you just are they're so impressed with managers at all these programs. They just uh, they're terrific. They are hard working out there. So all right, well that's a good one. Hey, we got, you know not quite the ninety minutes of the uh, recruiting podcast, but going a pretty solid hour. That's not bad, Dan. So nice work. Nice. Good questions. Thank you, guys. They Appreciate were really it. good questions. Yeah. So Dan Weber, make sure you check him out on the site uscfootball.com. One week till signing day. Stay tuned to the site. We'll talk about a signing day event uh, likely happening. We'll we'll have more information out on the site when we get it. So hope you guys enjoyed this show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.